Baptist Church, Charlotte. Midweek Bible study. Uh, we have been spending a good bit of time uh, considering how we can pursue real spiritual freedom. Uh, it's the will of God that we as believers experience that freedom and we are promised in the scripture repeatedly that through Jesus Christ we can know the truth and the truth can set us free. What does freedom feel like in our lives? That's one of the big questions we've been wrestling with. And I think what we've settled on is real spiritual freedom feels like wholeness in your mind, body, spirit, uh, to be spiritually and emotionally whole, or if you aren't whole already, to be spiritually and emotionally healed. We've gone through nine weeks of Bible study, and we've talked about um, the way of living the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is where we compete with God for sovereignty, and we judge everybody, everything, even God. And that leaves us with a life that is cynical, a life that is critical, and a life that uh, compares itself against other people and is a miserable way to live. And then there's a way of submission, which is you take yourself out of the role of judge. And what you, what you do instead is you surrender the judgment side of your life to God. And instead, you become a witness and a worshiper. You, you don't look for what's right and wrong with other people. You don't look for what's right and wrong with uh, brothers and sisters in the church. What you do is you become a witness and a worshiper. Um, this means, if, to live this way, and I'm just speaking practically, to live this way for me means I, I care a lot less about things like politics. I mean, I'm not saying I don't vote. I'm, I'm very patriotic. I feel like the country should do certain things for its sustainability, for its success. Um, and uh, I will vote that way. But as far as the day-to-day, -day, I can't live in a cyclone of news and commentary. I have to care about spiritual things. And so because I have stepped out of the role of judge and jury, I you'll notice I don't get... I don't get caught up a whole lot in cultural criticisms. I don't get caught up a whole lot in politics. Um, and I feel like this probably is true for most personality types. The more we get caught up in those things, uh, the less likely we are to live a life that is primarily care, caring about the things um, of the spirit. Um, and so we're going to continue. We're in lesson 10, and we're really talking about, about the fact that we have a real spiritual enemy. This is difficult for the unbeliever to grasp. It, it sounds absurd um, to someone who is not um, living a faith-based life. But if you are a believer, then you are, uh, you are able to live a life of real knowledge into the supernatural, to believe in the existence of God, to live a life that is very much open to his presence with you, and to be aware, and that's a key word, to be aware that there are there is a malevolent force 
that having failed to overthrow heaven by power, is seeking to destroy earth as an act of vengeance. This is why uh, Jesus says, uh, I believe it's John 10 and 10, um, that the, the enemy has only come to steal and to kill and to destroy. Um, this is a reality of a malevolent force. Um, so we want to talk about we want to talk about some things. Uh, insight, insight into the works of the enemy. And so I want to get started. I'm going to dive right in. Um, I want to understand this enemy, this malevolent force. And I want to start by establishing the fact that Lucifer is not an opposite God. We are not dualists. We do not believe that evil, good and evil battle against each other. And uh, hopefully, you know, good can win if we all add our shoulder to the will. No, that, that's that's dualism. That's not what we're doing. Dualism is a, <coughs> excuse me, um, a, a, a very Gnostic idea uh, where you get into these strange beliefs of Jesus and Lucifer being brothers created by an eternal Father God. No, we are not dualists. Um, Lucifer is not equal and opposite. God. Lucifer is, a, Lucifer is a defeated foe, and he pours out his hatred to ravage this world, having lost in heaven. And so now we have to live with the awareness that he has come to steal and kill and destroy. There's, uh, he's a defeated. He, he, he is not vying for the throne. The only throne available to him is to get you to believe in him. And since he does not have the power, the Lord has taken that from him. What he has is deception. And what we fight against, the number one enemy, uh, is this deception, battles of deception. Before I go any further, <coughs> let me talk about three basic types of deception that the enemy will work in your life. Um, the, first one, the first one is um, by far the most common. Uh, these are tools that the enemy will use to deceive and to destroy everything good that you could do in your life. By far, in my opinion, by far the most common one that we will deal with is self-deception. I could do a whole Bible study on biblical examples of how Satan... Uh, leads us to self-deception, tricks us, ensnares us. Excuse me. Yes, I'm getting over sickness. Yes, I apologize for it. No, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, we want to understand the enemy. We want to we want to see through the deception. The first most common is self-deception. The second is the false teacher or the false prophet. This can be a problem, but we deal with it much less frequently than we deal with uh, self-deception. In fact, I would say that for most of us, there will only be a handful of times in our life that we are really exposed to the false teacher or the false prophet. But Lucifer, of course, will use any method he can, and we have to take care against the false teacher and the false prophet. The warning sign, the warning sign, at least for me, is always charisma. When a person is highly charismatic and they're able to sway large groups of people, including the believer, um, we have to take care that we are not being led by a false teacher or a false prophet. Um, people without the ability to influence others are, are no risk. 
because they think they're leading people. They're really just taking a walk. It's the highly charismatic individual um, when we are very, very caught up with someone, whether they're a politician, whether they're an actor, uh, a musician, an athlete, or even, yes, religiously, a Bible study teacher, an evangelist, a pastor, uh, when they have great influence, we have to make sure that we do not value their opinion over the word, the word of God. So continuing, the third deception is when the de devil, the devil comes as an angel of light and seeks to do a work in your life or generate an emotion, a feeling, a fear. He literally works against you as an angel of light. Uh, this is this is quite rare. I believe that, uh, and I think you see this in the book of Job, I believe that Lucifer literally has to have permission from God to do anything that would affect you, even a uh, satanic demonstration. So you see why I say by far the most common thing we deal with is our desires, our lusts, our pride conspiring with Satan to deceive ourselves. All right. We want to understand our enemy and understanding him. We want to put on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6 and 11, put on the full armor of God that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. Secondly, we want to know his methods. Second uh, Corinthians 2 and 11, that no advantage might be gained over us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices. How does he work? More importantly, how does he work against you? Now, that's a big deal. Um, your personality, your formative experiences have all combined to make you susceptible to a certain set of temptations and deceptions, and we want to be aware of that. Third, um, we want to uh, test the spirits. How do we do that? Um, we do it, first of all, through uh, uh, not believing every spirit, and we do it through uh, patience. I know that's a surprising thing to think of, but one of the most important ways we test the spirits is simp simply with patience. We wait. Um, this is, in many ways, the Gamaliel a method where he says, look, don't speak against the Christians. This is the book of Acts. If God's not in this, nothing will become of it. He's counseling them to test the spirits through uh, patience. First John 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, the fourth principle that we want to um, we want to be aware of, we want to apply to our life is as believers, we want to be watchful. Once you understand there is a malevolent force being organized against you, Satan is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He can't be everywhere. How does he organize? He organizes like a military, hierarchically and geographically. So yes, there would be a hierarchical a representation of spirits in a hierarchical region. And you see that in the scripture, mainly referred to as the, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> the Prince of Persia in one place. 
We want to be actively watching. We want to have an attitude of spiritual watchfulness. First Peter 5, verse number 8, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. The fifth principle that I, I want us to apply in our lives um, is... Uh, committing ourselves to resisting whatever form, whatever spirit, whatever demonstration, whatever deception is brought against us, we resist it. We resist it. Uh, Satan is not playing a power game. That game has been lost to him. And I cannot emphasize this enough. If you are a new believer, you need to wrap your arms around this principle. Satan's weapons are not weapons of power, but deception. He has lost the power game. He doesn't even have control over death. Death has been defeated. How then does he fight? Angry and furious at God. He fights through deception. If hell attacks you successfully, how is it going to happen? Deception. If hell disturbs the church, how is he going to do it? Deception. We resist deception. When you resist reception, deception, you resist the devil. This is a very, very important principle. We resist him. James 4, verse number 7. Be subject, therefore, unto God. But... Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resistance is the idea of standing against, not physically fighting. Resistance is not to do physical battle. That battle is over. Don't fight a power struggle with hell. Resist hell. See through the lies. See through the deceptions. And uh, I want to... I want to take a break here, and I want to talk about, because we're talking about resistance, I want to talk about when Satan will attack you. I want you to apply this to your life, and we're taking a pause here on this principle of resisting the devil and believing that he will flee. These are biblical examples of when Satan will attack that you can apply in your own life. Uh, first of all, if you've recently had a great spiritual breakthrough or experience, it's very common for hell to follow immediately on that and try to pull you back down to earth. Uh, Jesus was attacked by Satan right after his baptism, right after the dove descends. That's when Satan attacked. The dove is that sign from heaven of the Father's good pleasure upon Jesus, the Son of God, the man born of Mary, overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. <coughs> if you've recently had a spiritual breakthrough in your life, if you've had a powerful experience, uh, there's a good chance hell is going to try to attack you immediately and bring you down from that experience. Um, if you've began a new spiritual endeavor recently, there's a very good chance that hell is going to immediately uh, attack you. Um, whenever uh, Jesus defeated Satan, you'll notice what happens next, the beginning of his public ministry. So whether it was the special moment of the Holy Spirit coming down in the form of a dove 
as Jesus is baptized, the voice saying, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, hear ye him. Or whether the beginning of the new ministry that he's going to do publicly, you notice that's the time of Satan's attack. Um, the third time I, I, I want to point out to you in the scripture is when you are physically vulnerable. If you've been very sick, I've been, as you can tell, I, I've been sick with this respiratory virus that's gone. Uh, I, I've had it, I, I think I'm, uh, I'm over a month now. And uh, I know I have bronchitis uh, complication with it and all of those things. But what I want to point out this is if you've been sick for a long time, hell's going to show up. When you are physically vulnerable, hell is going to show up. Notice... Jesus fasts 40 days and 40 nights. Afterwards, he is famished. The tempter came and said, if indeed you are the son of God, excuse me, <coughs> in a physical attack, there oftentimes will be a follow of a spiritual attack. Again, if you've spent a lot of time alone or you are dealing with feelings of isolation and loneliness, Satan is going to look to attack. Jesus has been alone for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was met by the tempter. The fifth thing that would surprise you is if there's an unexpected source that you've relied on, a friend, Satan would love to find a way to attack you through that trusted source. Uh, Matthew 16, Peter said, Look, you're not going to go to Calvary, Lord. Far be this from you. God forbid it. This must never happen to you. What did Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. A stumbling. He, does, he sees through the friendship and he sees how Satan looks for an unexpected vector of attack. Satan's looking for an unexpected vector of attack in your life. Don't take it personally. Expect it. We are not ignorant of Satan's devices. So, going back to resisting the devil in these areas, in these examples, how is it that the enemy will attack you? You need to be wise to him. The next principle of after resisting him, when however he attacks you, the next principle is realize your weak areas. We all have weak areas. If anybody tells you they don't, um, hide your wallet and leave them be. They are lying to themselves and they're lying to you. We all have weak areas. I know for many, many years, when I was, when I was a young preacher, it was generally uh, frowned upon by, by, for any man in the pulpit to actually preach in a manner that revealed like his struggle. Um, and uh, we were, as a Bible school student, I was oftentimes warned against preaching your own struggles. Um, and the rationale being that if you did that, you would cause others to stumble. And they would quote the scripture, um, not to offend someone who is weak, be better to have a millstone tied around your neck. Well, I bought into that for a long time, but then I realized there's a different kind of millstone you can tie around someone's neck. And it goes like this. If the people I'm leading feel like there are somehow uh, less because they have weaknesses in their life, where's, uh, how am I helping them? I actually take the opposite from that old school approach that I think that 
if we aren't open about thorns in our flesh, like the apostles were, we don't cause anyone to stumble um, when we're honest. I, I think, first of all, we humble ourselves. Number two, um, we do what the Bible does from Genesis to Revelations, which is tell the story of God through the characters of imperfect people. Genesis to Revelation, there's only one perfect character in 66 books. His name was Jesus. He died for your sins that you might have a perfect life through him and his perfection might be traded for the life you've actually lived, which is far from perfect. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Realize your weak areas and take them to prayer and safeguard against association. Yes, if you know how you have a weakness, up your convictions. If I don't have the same weakness as you, don't worry about my convictions. Worry about your weaknesses. Um, part of living in the tree of life is getting out of the judgment business. Get out of the business of going around deciding who's saved, who's not saved, who's good enough, who's not good enough. Get out of that business. Choose to see the good of other people. Apply justice to yourself. Walk humbly with others and love mercy. This is what's required of a man. Anyway, so realize your weak areas and make adjustments. Ephesians 4, verse 27. Don't give place to the devil. In other words, be honest about your weak areas. Don't give place to uh, the devil. Um, the next principle of overcoming uh, the power of uh, Lucifer, Lucifer, the attacks of Lucifer in your life and the evil spirits is celebrate God's strength, not your own. And walk in God's strength, not your own. And when you fail, recognize the disconnect between God, your life and God's strength. What is that disconnect? Usually it is not walking in his word and not living a life of worship. Not walking in his word, not living a life of worship. That is my connection to him. When I fail to do that, I fail to receive his power, his overcoming power. Um, <coughs> we cannot walk in our spirit. I mean, our strength. We have to walk in God's strength. Let me read. Uh, this is Jude, uh, verse 9 of the little book of Jude. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, disputed about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a reviling judgment upon him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. This is walking in God's strength. When I pray, I don't pray in my authority. I don't feel like my authority is very impressive. I pray in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, that name that's above every name. Uh, so it is in all of our lives. And I'm sure you would say the same thing. Um, we stand in his victory. We stand in his strength. Our connection to him is through this word of God um, and a life of worship. And I also should add to that uh, the, the habit of prayer. Um, you could say that's life of worship, but I think there's enough of a distinction there to, to, to point that out. This threefold cord of connection of the Word of God, uh, a prayer life, and a life of worship. Number eight, I, I, want, I want to encourage you to avoid, this is in many ways is knowing your weaknesses, but avoiding situations. I think uh, avoiding situation goes further. Why do I say that? Because 
Um, even if you think you're strong, you probably should avoid situations that test that strength. You may not be near as strong as you think you are. First Thessalonians 5 and 22, stab, uh, excuse me, abstain from every form of evil. In other words, separate yourself from temptation. Let's get real here with this. Did God save you from alcohol in your past? Uh, don't, maybe because of that, you should not eat at the bar alone when you're in a hurry. I, I eat at the bar alone when I'm in a hurry, but I don't have a history of temptation at a bar. I'm not saying I don't have temptation. I'm just saying that's not going to be the sin that gets me. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you have moral challenges in your life? Um, um, are work trips dangerous? Um, maybe you need a accountability partner, aka your spouse, <laughs> uh, or if not your spouse, uh, a mentor, a brother and sister in Christ. I mean, assuming a brother to a brother and a sister to a sister. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah moving along. Um, you see my point. Uh, Avoid the situation. Avoid the situation. Have you struggled with uh, keeping uh, uh, your computer pure? Do you have a internet problem? Uh, maybe you need to move your computer to a part of the house where you're not the only one with accountability to it. Do you, is there something you're failing at? Uh, I'm just saying this. If you don't take right living seriously, it's not going to happen by accident. This is something we, we either care about and work toward or we don't. And if we don't, let's not fool ourselves. Um, so uh, moving on. Um, this next category is really showing how the whole Christian walk works together, combines together, fits together as a system and produces victory in your life. Let's call this, for lack of a, uh, well, there's no better term. Let me say it that way. And this is uh, put on the whole armor of God. Our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand, to stand uh, firm. Uh, you see, in this, this is the example, the metaphor in... I'm going to wrap up pretty quick here. This is the metaphor. Um, there's a system that fits together, and so it is with the church. There's a belt of truth. The first thing listed, belt of truth. Um, there is a coat of righteousness. There is sandals of preparation. There is a shield of faith. There's a helmet of salvation, a sword of the Spirit. These, this system works together. Let me say it this. You need more than one thing. You have been given the body of Christ. You need to come together with other believers. You need to be exposed to different talents and gifts and abilities in that body of believers. Do you see? You need that. You need Sunday worship. You need Wednesday night Bible study. You need small groups. You need uh, remote. One of the great benefits of technology is our ability to do this remotely. It is a value. You need it. It works together as a system. You can't take one thing like... I've, I've known people who do this. They they read a devotional every day, but they, they don't go to church. They're not involved in any body of Christ, but they do read a devotional every day. It's not enough. 
There's a system that works together. It's fellowship, it's purpose, it's mission, it's worship. It comes together in a system. Um, uh, you get this idea of the system and it working together. Let me move on. Um, prayer is to be a constant. It's, it's more than a verb, an action. It's an attitude. It's a way of being. Pray in the Spirit, Ephesians 6, verse number 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. The tenth is... Um, Realize that you're a part of the family of God. It is a family. There are two families spoken about in the scripture, the children of God and, yes, the children of the devil. These are images as one who inherits something from a lineage. You can inherit something from the lineage of God. You can inherit something from the lineage of Satan. 1 John 5, 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And finally, having done all to stand, stand. In other words, um, underneath you is not nothing. <laughs> underneath you is the promises of God. Um, there's going to be many days where you don't know what to do. You stand on the promises of God. Having done all to stand, stand. There's going to be many circumstances you don't have an easy solution to. There's just no good solution. It's like there's not a good or bad. It's just ugly as far as the eye can see. Um, it's it's uh, There's nothing to be done. Stand on what? The promises of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No testing has overtaken you. That is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Or here's another one, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so uh, we are, <laughs> we are uh, filled with... We are filled with uh, a lot of biblical understanding um, in the scripture. And uh, I want to take a moment and look at the chat room and just see if there's anyone who um, has some specific questions um, here today. Um, there was one question I've seen this week, and I want to um, just talk about it for a moment here. Um, this issue of uh, son of perdition, lawless one, Satan's beast. Um, how do we think about them? Uh, how do we approach them? Um, th there's a lot of images uh, in the scripture that um, we, how shall I say this, that refer to the prophetic language with which all New Testament prophecy is written. To us, it reads dramatical and almost like a type of Hollywood-esque special effects. But to the first century reader, anyone who read that prophetic language, Hebrew prophetic language or poetry, they would recognize the images and they would be less impressed with the dramatical Hollywood-esque special effects as they would the principles that are shown through, that shine through the recurring, consistent images. And so how do we, how do we uh, think about this? Well, uh, there was, 
like all interpretation, there is disagreement. We do not believe in interpretation. We believe in the scripture. But we do so as those who submit to God. Now, this creates problems. Almost all biblical fights you will come across um, are fights of interpretation because a group of people, a scholar, a Bible leader, cannot leave their hands off the text and say, I do not know Time will show. That is so hard. Um, there is something in us that if we 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 speak with certainty when there is not certainty. So let me explain this. Um, Moses gave a law to keep the uh, Sabbath, right? And there were basically a handful of things they couldn't do. They had to stay home, don't cook, don't start a fire. Stay home, well, no, uh, no work. Stay home, don't cook, don't start a fire. But okay, but how much of something is work? Moses doesn't define it. Um, can you stay home? Does that include the adult children or should they stay at their own home? Don't cook. Does that mean you can't um, cook from the day before um, and, 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 and hold over or should you fast? There's disagreement. Moses doesn't make it easy for us. And then the last thing, don't start a fire. Now, does that mean... You can start a fire on Saturday night and keep it burning and then have fire on the Sabbath? Or does that mean the point is not to have any fire at all, no heat? Moses doesn't define it. Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and religious leaders in the rabbinical tradition, they cannot leave mystery in it. Um, evidently, Moses was didn't didn't so Moses did not make a mistake when he said it that way. It's not like God is in heaven saying, "Man, Moses, I can't I can't depend. You just can't find good help nowadays. I can't depend on you for anything." Um, no, I, I don't believe that. Uh, the mystery is supposed to be part of it, and you are supposed to seek it. That means different people will do it different ways. But that's what the rabbinical tradition cannot allow. That's what the Pharisees cannot allow. That's what the Sadducees cannot allow. That's what the Sanhedrin Council cannot allow. So they add to those four basic rules of keeping the Sabbath, they add 613 rules. All right. So how many did Moses give? Four. How many did they end up with? 613. Who did Jesus side with? Jesus sided with the four. And what did he say to the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin Council, the rabbinic tradition? He said, you put yourself in the role of Moses and you have added the traditions of men. Now that would have been fine, but you put them at the same level as the word of God. And that's how we ended up with Pharisees, religiously obsessed individuals committing fraud and capital murder against Jesus because it was ended up being about control, not about faith, not about devotion, control. These 613 laws are added to the four. Evidently, let's think about this. Evidently, it was the will of God. Now, I'm coming back to the son of perdition. Just stay with me. It was the, Moses didn't make a mistake when he gave four broad rules that you were supposed to seek your way through. You were supposed to ask, seek, and knock. 
you were not intended to be given this easy, do what I say, religious environment. You were given something you had to think about. You had to, what? how am I going to do this? And when you have principle and you seek to figure out how to follow it, what do you reveal? Your heart. You reveal your heart. I think this is the way God intended it. So back to the law versus interpretation problem. Nobody disagrees over the four laws Moses gave, or five, depending on how you count. We disagree over the interpretation, and we disagree. We put ourselves on the same level as Moses, and like the Jews did, you kill each other over it. So, back to the son of perdition. There are some interpreters that believe the son of perdition is referring literally to Judas Iscariot, who betrayed the Lord. What do I say? You guys aren't ready for this. This is going to distress you. Maybe. There are some people who believe this refers to Herod, one of the Herods. <laughs> Tried to kill Jesus in Bethlehem. Um, there are other people who believe <laughs> that this refers to the Antichrist, but in a surprising way. I, yeah, I'm probably somewhat sympathetic to that. Um, and uh, you, you see the problem here. Um, how do we sum this up? Time will reveal the son of perdition to all of us. In the meantime, we are not giving the satisfying clarity. We are not given the satisfying calculus whereby we can hold God to our own understanding. You see, that's what the Pharisees do when they kill Jesus. When they get done making the rules, not even God is holy enough. And so they kill him. So I don't have a satisfying answer uh, for you on exactly who this son of perdition. It refers, I believe, in some way uh, to um, those who would kill the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps, whether it's a character who lived in times past um, or more, um, it refers in some way to that element, the spirit of the Antichrist, perhaps the person of the Antichrist. I am comfortable not knowing, but let me tell you what I'm uncomfortable doing. I am very uncomfortable pretending I know when I don't know, and I'm very uncomfortable adding to the scripture uh, something of which we do not have clarity. So, when the Bible's clear, I wanna be as clear as the Bible is. Give you an example. There is a name under heaven given among men. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. But at the name of Jesus. And at that name, every knee bow, you get you see what I'm doing here. The Bible gives us clarity. Not about everything. The Bible gives us mystery too. We cannot pretend to have clarity when we're given mystery. This is how false doctrines get started. And Lord, there is a tremendous history of them. This is what I want you to take away, my brothers and sisters. I want you to understand, number one, there is an enemy. There is an adversary. That's what Satan means. I know we say Satan as though it's a proper noun, but it just means adversary. Um, imagine that you just called the devil the adversary. Accuser of the brethren. 
we, there is a malevolent enemy. Do we understand everything of the spirit realm? No. How do we understand? Through a glass darkly. A day will come. We'll understand better. In the meantime, this enemy has a weapon that is very, very effective. It's not power in some uh, satanic uh, Ouija board. No, it's deception. Even in the Garden of Eden, how is Satan working? Deception. How do we resist the devil? We resist deception. We take our Christianity seriously. We repent of our sins. We don't make place for the devil. We live a life of prayer, a life of worship. We speak the word of God. We choose to be a son of God, not a son of Belial, not a son of the accuser. We want to inherit the attributes of the kingdom of God, and we want to live them out in our lives. You can do it, my brothers and sisters. You can do it. There is no temptation that you're fighting except that's just common. We all fight. Different degrees, different angles, yes, but we all fight. You can be victorious. And here's the thing. In the meantime, while you're fighting to overcome, the Lord's going to forgive you of your falls. And He's going to give you the perfect life He lived as a covering for the imperfect life you're living. Do not continue in sin, but continue in repentance. And when you sin, you have an advocate. When you sin, you have an advocate. You can do this. How can you do it? Are you good enough? No. He's good enough. Are you powerful enough? No. He is. You can walk in victory. You can walk in victory. Join with other brothers and sisters. Let the whole system of the body of Christ be on your side. There is overcoming victory for every one of you in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray you would be with us. I pray you would walk with us. I pray you would strengthen us. Don't let discouragement turn into deception. We have hope. We have overcoming power through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, work among your people. Amen. God bless you all. We love you. One more time, I apologize for this sickness thing I, I have going on. It, it, it drives me crazy. I'm sorry. We'll get through it. God bless you all. We will see you Sunday. If you don't have a church you attend, please give us a chance. Two locations, Charlotte, um, 4929 North Sharon Amity, and we have uh, uh, Concord Campus, uh, search uh, Christ Community Church Concord. Uh, the website will come up and you'll be able to find us at the end of Reuben Linker Road, uh, right off of Weddington Road near the racetrack in Concord. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.